0: Hello, this is Harry Thomason, and welcome to The Story You Never Heard, produced, edited, and scored with original music by our friend Benji Gaither in Nashville. On this podcast, we'll tell you stories about your world, your country, your people, and things that happened long ago and not so long ago. Stories you've probably never heard until now. Here's tonight's tale. the good deed. Our story starts all the way back in Clay County, Missouri, with the birth of a boy in the early morning of September the 5th, 1847. This was the newest son of a Baptist preacher whose family had just moved to Missouri from Kentucky. They started a farm and had a little success. But eventually the boy's father, Robert, went to California to minister to one of the towns where gold had been discovered and gold fever was running rampant. A town where there were too many sinners and not enough preachers. Unfortunately, Robert died after being there a year. His widow remarried three years later, but her boys did not particularly like their new father. Meanwhile, in a completely unrelated event, Richard Dick Benton married Nancy Binkley on January the 20th, 1853. Serving with a band of Confederate guerrillas, Benton survived the war and afterward he and Nancy settled outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Benton sadly died in 1877, leaving Nancy alone to raise her many children. Now back to the preacher's son. He fought in the Civil War on the Confederate side. He was wounded twice and moved back to his home state of Missouri. But around 1877, he moved to escape mounting problems in his area. And he ended up temporarily moving to the same part of Tennessee as the Widow Nancy and her children. And he stayed through the early part of 1881. The preacher's son, now cowboy, sort of, and the Widow Nancy were destined to meet. It happened as he and his brother and several other cowboys were moving through the woods on horseback. They saw Nancy filling her water bucket in a small stream near her rundown house. The group was tired. They'd been riding all day and with no food. They asked if maybe she had something they could eat. She said she didn't have much in her house, but she was perfectly willing to share it with them. Thank you, ma'am. We appreciate it and we'll pay you for it. The young cowboy said. They all gathered in the kitchen where she willingly shared what little food she had with them. They couldn't help notice the many children and lack of presence of a husband. The young cowboy finally gently asked and she told him she was a widow. He also noticed that something else was really bothering this kind woman. He gently questioned her and she broke down and told them all her story. The mortgage was due on the house that very day and since her husband had died, she did not have the money to pay it. She questioned if she even owed it because her husband had told her he had made the final payment and he was the most honest man she had ever known. Her landlord was not a generous man and he was sure to put her children and herself out into the cold. The cowboy looks at his brother who nods and leaves. He then turns back to Nancy. How much money do you need to pay the mortgage? She hesitated a moment then broke down, sobbing. But now the brother had returned carrying a saddlebag. She whispered, $673 and have almost nothing. She continued to softly cry. The cowboy took the bag from his brother, opened it and counted out $700 and presented it to the widow. She protested, saying it wasn't right and she couldn't do it. The men all insisted she take it. Finally, she burst into tears and thanked them profusely. Then she again hesitated. No, I can't take it because I can never pay it back. The young cowboy gently urged her to take it and said it was their good deed of the year. And he insisted she use the money to pay off the markets. Now, since it's cash, just make sure you get a receipt. And he signs it so there can never be any doubt that it's your house. He urged her. She promised she would. Now, Nancy stood there, still dabbing her eyes with her kids around her as the men mounted their horses and thundered away, well-fed, laughing and feeling good. They probably didn't hear softly spoken, bless you, as they disappeared into the wilderness. It was almost sundown when the short stout man in the fancy coat and hat showed up to collect either the property or the mortgage money due on the house. The last thing you wanted was the money. What do you want? was this creekside property. He was stunned and unhappy when a widow handed him the cash and groused when she insisted he sign and date the receipt so she would clearly own the land. Disgruntled, he climbed into his surrey, popped his whip, and unhappily headed back toward Nashville. It was getting dark as he traveled the ruddy road toward town, and he was surprised when he slowed down to cross another shallow creek and found a band of cowboys waiting on the other side, their horses blocking his path. Hello, said the leader of the group. Hope you're enjoying your ride and as soon as you hand over all your money, you can be on your way. The man protested, but saw the gang's hands all move toward their gun holsters. After a beat, he reluctantly pulled out a canvas bag and handed it to the young cowboy, who counted over $800 the same cowboy who had counted out 700 to the Wood of Nancy earlier. Satisfied, he spoke, Well, sir, enjoy your ride back to town, and thank you. The now terrified man quickly drove the buggy away. The horseman, laughing and shouting, turned and headed west, disappearing into the darkness of the woods. This gang was not a band of angels by any means. In fact, quite the opposite. But on that long ago night in the 1870s near Nashville, Tennessee, the most notorious outlaw in America, Jesse James, his brother Frank, and their friends did perform one small deed of redemption. Now let's make no mistake about it. Jesse James was not a good man. He was a bank robber and killer, and there was a large reward for his capture dead or alive, posted by the Pinkerton Detective Agency on behalf of the many railroads the gang had robbed. Jesse did value loyalty and went on around 1891 to make a couple of new friends that he really liked and appreciated, the Ford brothers, Robert and Charles. In fact, he presented the 19-year-old Robert Ford, known as Bob, with a token of his appreciation in late March of 1892 a silver-mounted, pearl-handled Colt 45 pistol. It was also engraved with a message of thanks from Jesse. On a Saturday, April the 3rd, 1882, Jesse was hanging a picture on the wall of his temporary home in St. Joseph, Missouri. Bob Ford sat on a chair across the room, and when Jesse turned to hang the picture, Ford lifted his shiny new gift pistol and shot his friend Jesse James in the back, killing him. Bob and his brother Charles then did what they had planned to do for over two years, try to collect the $10,000 reward from the Pinkerton Agency. After the killing, the Fords wired Missouri Governor Crittenden to claim their reward. They then surrendered themselves to the local legal authorities, but were stunned to be promptly charged with first-degree murder. In one day, the Ford brothers were indicted, pleaded guilty, and sentenced to death by hanging. But two hours later, Governor Crittenden granted them a full pardon and told them the reward money was on its way. The Ford brothers toured the country, reenacting the killing on stages. They were shocked to learn that most of the public hated their guts and treated them like they had killed Robin Hood. Two years after the killing, Charles, ill with tuberculosis, committed suicide in 1884. Bob kept struggling. On December 26, 1889, Ford survived an assassination attempt in Kansas City, Kansas, when an assailant tried to slit his throat. He eventually opened a saloon in Creed, Colorado. On June 8, 1892, a mentally troubled Edward O'Kelly entered Ford's saloon with a shotgun. He spoke, Hello, Bob. As Ford turned to see who the friendly voice was, O'Kelly fired both barrels killing Ford instantly. The man who killed Jesse James would now join him in infamy. Jesse was buried in Kearney, Missouri. His tombstone reads, Jesse W. James died April the 5th, 1882, aged 34 years, six months, 28 days, murdered by a traitor and a coward whose name is not worthy to appear here. A little over 20 miles away in Richmond, Missouri, Ford's headstone reads, Bob Ford, December the 8th, 1841, died June the 8th, 1892, the man who shot Jesse Jane. And that's our story you never heard for this week. See you next week with a brand new story. We hope you enjoyed this audio adventure and will join us every 10 days for a brand new The Story You Never Heard. To help us continue to produce new and engaging stories, please consider supporting us. Go to our website at www.thestoryyouneverheard.com to find out more. By supporting us, you'll get more stories plus great gifts. And your support will only cost about the same as a large box of popcorn per month at the movies. Subscribe and treat yourself to a great shared adventure. This show is executive produced by Douglas Jackson and our technical consultant and website administrator is John Balderson. Thank you for listening. Have a good night and we'll see you in 10 days.